Involve. Solve. Evolve. Welcome to Cloud Crunch, the podcast for any large enterprise planning on moving to or is in the midst of moving to the cloud. Hosted by the cloud computing experts from Second Watch, Jeff Aiden, co-founder and executive vice president of marketing and business development, Ian Willoughby, chief architect cloud solutions, and Skip Berry, executive director of cloud enablement. And now, here are your hosts of Cloud Crunch. Hey, everybody. Jeff Aiden, co-founder of Second Watch, here, and I'm joined by the co-hosts Ian Willoughby and Skip Berry. Today's show, we are going to give a history lesson of cloud computing over the 10-plus years, predominantly around infrastructure as a service. And a great way to start off is let's go to Ian and Skip, our experts, and ask when they first became familiar with cloud computing, either Amazon or Azure, um, over their course of history. Ian? Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, this is, it was exciting times. It was uh, back when I was managing data centers and building those out. And boy, you know, 3 a.m. car trips to the worst parts of town are just not really the most exciting things in life. A friend of mine introduced <laughs> me to uh, Amazon Web Services. Like, you got to check this out. Played with S3 a little bit, but when EC2 came out, there was no console. So in order to deploy things, you had to do it all through the command line. What year was that, Ian? About? And I was going to say, must have been around 2010, maybe a little bit earlier. Not really quite sure at this point. Kind of all blurs together. Not sleeping very much going to data centers too late at night. So there was this plugin called Elastic Box, which only worked on Firefox, which was the first kind of GUI-based system in order to launch instances. But that power of launching a Linux machine in a few minutes and it actually working... It's like, we got to do this. It was all over that. So before I uh, joined Second Watch, I ran a company in the telecom space. We ultimately migrated all our infrastructure over to Amazon Web Services, and it was just so much better. Uh, the scale, the speed at which we could do it, it was just uh, amazing. And now I've continued this journey. You know, Ian, it's funny you said that because I remember the first time I saw one of our senior engineers actually launch resources on a plane over Wi-Fi and we were chuckling because he didn't actually have to be physically there to unpack the box, rack the rack, plug it in, and actually deploy services. <laughs> All right, Skip, what about you? Yeah, similar event working for a um, smaller size software development company that was in the, um, let's say, the compliance and regulatory space working globally. And we had a challenge of where we would build solutions that needed to be deployed before we got on site. So. If you think about where we were 2006, 2007, EC2 came along and what it helped us do is do pre-builds before we went out. Um, we were doing it before in VMware infrastructure. Uh, it worked, it was very practical, but very non-cost effective, if you will. And um, so with that, we were able to use EC2 to save a huge amount of cost. And it just gave us this big, tremendous amount of flexibility to really meet more of a, let's say a tailored design for, for the clients globally that we were working for and didn't have to drag along hardware. I was shipping almost like you would do in a trade show, um, shipping just as much uh, equipment to a customer that was just staging to go and build stuff that we were gonna leave behind and then ship the gear back. So just with the advent of the cloud and having that ability with EC2 that came along. And then S3, when S3 came along as well, that gave us the ability to basically, um, we were using it really as a code bank, um, which I don't know if that was ever the intention of, but it helped out immensely what we were uh, trying to achieve with Perforce was the tool of the day back then uh, for our development efforts. But that was my early introduction 
And uh, I'll tell you one thing that I said to some of my colleagues that I still stay in touch with then now, you know, I'm like, just, just watch how big this gets. This is going to be revolutionary. And lo and behold, here we are. So Great. Yeah, and, and my experience is, is probably not as technical as your guys's, but, um, you know, back in 2008, uh, when the economy kind of tanked, I was running a P&L. My co-founder was running technology, and, uh, and I was asked to grow the company by 15% while cutting millions of dollars out of our budget. And we stumbled across Amazon Web Services and actually started doing some marketing campaigns up there that saved us literally hundreds of thousands of dollars that we were able to push to savings and able to do more with less. And a lot of people don't know that Amazon Web Services was started out of Amazon back when Amazon had a lot of holiday traffic. They had to have a lot of servers to serve up that content for their customers. Well, outside of the retail season, uh, those servers sat stagnant. So did the storage and, and it sat blank. And Amazon figured out, Andy Jassy actually wrote the narrative that they should rent out this computing and storage services when they're not using them. And that's essentially how AWS started. Uh, for those interested, there's a great book out there called The Everything Store um, by Brad Stone. It's a great read about Amazon, understanding their culture. And as we launched SecWatch in 2010, that book just came out about that time period. I also think some of the other players, guys, check me on this, but like Azure and Google kind of really didn't start to take the cloud seriously until about 2015, 2016 range. Does that sound right from a time frame perspective? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and just just uh, you know, not to be hyperbolic, whatever. I I believe what they were building too is weren't they doing a prototype? Was it Target or some major retailer of where they wanted to basically um, you know prove this out that they could put a marketplace? It was Market.com was I think the original domain name, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Target was, Target was, was an Target? original customer. Was original customer, yeah. and I think it was around 2000. Yeah. And 12, that they actually tried to build their own data center, 2013, and actually Target left AWS. And on the day they left AWS, they had a security breach. Um, if I recall, we'd have to go back and, and verify that. But I believe that was the case. One of those rare cases where somebody has left a public cloud. Well, guys, let's talk about some of the examples of, of how cloud has evolved since 2008, 2010, since you've worked there. You know, let's maybe start with some pricing examples. I think there's been 67 or more times since 2006 that, that prices have changed, but let's talk about some of those those examples. Yeah, I, I think it's obviously 67 is a huge number. You know, We're used to things increasing in price, obviously, uh, out there, but a little misleading because I think the number would actually be higher if you take into account the new generations of technologies that exist. So if you're looking at instance types, you know, if they go from uh, a generation of like a C3, C4, C5, you get so much more price performant in those new generations. So, and they don't call that a price reduction. So I, I kind of would. So if you kind of upgrade the processor types and those types of things, I think that you, you actually experience better uh, bang for the buck. Well, hold on, Ian. What you're saying there is really important. So not only have we seen price cuts versus price increases, right? You, you, I mean, you hit it right on the head. Cloud computing is not getting more expensive. But when they come out with a new model, like if you came out with a new Tesla or a new 
you know, Audi, you're actually saying it's actually more affordable than, than the previous generation. That's correct. Yeah. That's a novel, novel actually attribute of the cloud itself, right? As opposed to, you know, your old uh, land-based uh, services, if you will, when IT stand up, uh, provide infrastructure, platform, et cetera, you can't do that that way, right? So uh, the, the other angle on this too, is just to understand how cloud evolved really from uh, the pricing model just in general, where it was, you know, back from a mainframe perspective, uh, the, the evolution of time-based, volume-based flat rate. Um, you know, I made some notes here to talk about it. Just like responsive pricing, you know, the spot pricing that we see today, those unique opportunities and understanding pricing schemes for the application of what you're going to use the cloud is ever so important. And when we do stuff like CRA and what have you, cloud readiness assessments for applications as we're moving people to the cloud, not to underestimate what that new world is going to look like so we can help clients really understand their spend as well. So the whole TCO picture comes into focus. Uh, when we understand what kind of, um, you know, cost scheme is going to be put out there. So. Yeah, for those, for those late adopters out there, I think the headline here is, you know, and guys, check me on this. We have not seen a case where cloud costs have actually increased. Cloud usage has. But, you know, since it actually has been created, cloud costs have decreased. And now with competition, there's even more aggressive discounting and pricing, correct? Yeah. Yeah. They're the big three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got yeah, three Goliaths that are competing heavily against each other. And at the end of the day, the customer's winning. And you know what's interesting about that, guys, too, is we have seen with some of the late adopters, them still want to do the, the validation TCO type or ROI type tests. And I think those have moved along a lot faster with the late adopters because there's so many validation points than they did, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago. The other thing that I've noticed with the large enterprises, they're less sensitive to, hey, is storage cheaper or is compute cheaper? They're looking for more aggregated discounts, which we've seen the providers become more aggressive. So here's my total breadth and depth of usage on your platform, and I'm looking for an overall just blanket discount. We've seen that change too over the last couple of years. What about global services? If you guys, you know, walk back in time, you know, we see this today with services, it's not deployed globally, but what were some of the maybe issues or challenges you saw, um, you know, or the growth that we've seen over the last couple of years with global services around cloud services? I think the greatest services that we're starting to see are some of the, on the global side. If you look at some of the database technology where it was really localized to one region uh, maybe multiple zones as well, but this multi-master scenario, which is something that when I was building out my own infrastructures, is something I really, really wanted to have an asset compliant database that spanned across geographies was just kind of like the holy grail for uh, high availability and disaster recovery. Those things continue. And if you look at, not, not only is it great that there's these global services, but it's still good that they're isolated as well, so that if one gets destroyed for whatever reason, it's not going to influence them across the board. So I think it's very exciting. Obviously, uh, AWS is one that's very global, that really kind of spans across everything. And then, uh, you know, making sure also you don't go out of control on those things as well. So kind of shutting down and making sure you don't go too global to keep those cost containments in place. Yeah, and I think the other side driving that too is uh, even compliance from a, from a perspective, but while 
So you have regulatory bodies, you know, your GDPR, all that kind of stuff that says, you know, data must live X in these boundaries and what have you. So that's really pushed the, um, we'll say three and possibly four big players, Alibaba being one of them as well, coming in uh, where the data has to live in that in that jurisdiction or what have you. But it also has driven back better service quality globally too, as far as you know, uptime availability, and then back to what Ian was saying um, from a DR perspective and failover perspective. So, so it's kind of interesting just the evolvement of how policy has driven some of this as well. Yeah, Skip, you brought up a great point with each region or country can have a different requirement on data and how it's housed. And we could probably do an advanced show just on that alone, right? Uh, I, you know, Ian, so your point's not lost. I mean, this allows you to be competitive globally with your enterprise globally rather than being restricted within a certain region, right? Essentially um, helping customers do that. Yeah, what about... Yeah. Absolutely. And a lot of our multinational companies that we've we've worked with have been able to expand globally on all continents. But also now you start, you know, going back to what Skip said, you look at California's laws. Essentially, it's become its own country when it comes to data. And having that cloud support that model is, has been fantastic. Yeah. Well, you talked about, and, and, you know, you talked about your first experience with S3 and then when EC2 came out. Today, we've seen, you know, over the last 10 years, tons of services kind of, you know, explode. What are some of the, the ones outside of compute? Obviously, compute and storage are the biggest uses use cases on the cloud, right? That's the majority of resources. But what are some of those other services that really were game changers that, that stick out to you guys? I, I think networking has been a very, very large component to this, particularly for enterprises, because in the past, it was tough and maybe more expensive than it should have been to really interface into that hybrid uh, architecture. A lot of the native services on these on all the cloud providers have really enabled better connectivity and better experience for the enterprise. And then you look at some of, there was an announcement this week, EBS multi-attach, which is essentially now we have volumes that can be attached to multiple instances, which is a total different transformation than what we've seen with storage before. So you've got block level, you've got object stores, you've got all kinds of, it, it, you can find storage that fits every type of need. A few years ago, you kind of had to adopt to what was what was available by the cloud providers, but now the cloud providers are offering you the solutions so that you don't have to transform your architecture as much as you used to. Yeah, I think I specifically in AWS, one of the you know, huge Aurora was probably one of the most significant ones uh, just in general uh, that kicked off a lot of this you know, the database up in, in the cloud, right? Capabilities, right? If you, if you go back 2012, 2013, maybe 14, when Aurora was announced. But nevertheless, if you think about having, you know, a, a relational database being in the cloud, right, as opposed to having that high availability, high transactional rate, et cetera, uh, having an on-prem, the availability, the performance, et cetera, and now you have it in the cloud, that was a game changer, I think. And still to this day, as we evolve through, right, uh, where we are with databases, and they're pushing again, the other two competitors in that space to, to stay um, up to date with them as well. But customers, again, gaining uh, all the while. So that's a huge product or service, if you will, and I think helps. Yeah, you know, the thought that came to mind listening to you guys, and, and just to bring it up, maybe just a level, right, for, for some of the, the late adopters and people coming in, is the solutions that are available to you guys that are deep in it, right, are, are fairly simple. However, those late adopters, it's not just about compute or storage. 
it, or databases. It's about how you put these together to create a solution, right? Um, you know, I, I think back when when we had uh, the early adopters way in, right? They they might have a SharePoint site that they wanted to move to the cloud that you know, according to the vendors, required so much storage, so much compute. But that was on a future use basis, right? It wasn't on actual usage. And so depending on your actual scalability or what your uh, actual users required, you can build that for the cloud and save money. That's where we've always seen some issues with customers in the past. Sure. Well, let's talk, let's talk about maybe some of the, the new cloud services that maybe five, 10 years ago, you know, we wouldn't have thought we're right around the corner, maybe, whether it's databases or some of the tools like deep learning or for AI ML. What, what do you guys, what, what are your guys thoughts on that? As I've seen you at reInvent when these are announced and we've talked about it live time, um, you know, but take a step back five years ago. Did you guys envision that some of these things would be out and, and with us by 2020? I, I would, I would love to say I saw it all coming. But no, absolutely not. <laughs> but you know what we've seen is is it's gone from the Lego blocks mentality of I'm going to provide to you the core building blocks so that you can get to the cloud, to the now I actually have a service where you just need to focus on the business outcome and don't need to worry about all the underlying pieces. SageMaker yeah. is amazing when it comes to that on AWS as an example, and it's just going to continue. So I. I it's getting to the point, though, it used to be very somewhat as a professional in the cloud area to keep up with everything that's going on as they launch new services. But the expansion of not only the new services, but the features within those makes it very hard to keep up. And it's going at such a rate now, it's mind-blowing. And it's not all three cloud providers or the major cloud providers are there right now. And it's no longer do you need to worry about compute that's great. You can if you want to, because there's going to be a lot of legacy applications out there. But you can take a group of people and say, you have a business problem. I'm going to show you how to push data through this pipeline, and you're going to get the output that you need. That, to me, is is how cloud is really beginning. The transformation is accelerating now more than in it, at any other time in the cloud history. Yeah, I would dovetail on that. Just uh, looking at Lambda, you know, those kind of things. So service-oriented architecture, again, bringing it out from, um, again, not needing uh, a whole stack of code pipeline, um, you know, out there, API gateway service from an AWS perspective, you know, those are big game changers. And I think we're just coming to see um, a lot of that in an order of magnitude where it's really, you know, businesses are finally making that pivot where they're not thinking about infrastructure as a service anymore. Uh, even platform as a service, it's really the outcome as a service is where they are. So it's really exciting, I think, you know, I mean, and we see it every day, quite frankly, you know, we get pulled into um, DevOps scenarios and what have you, um, you know, and it's really about transforming their business to help them get to that, uh, we'll say the, the real DevOps mentality and, and order operations to go and, uh, you know, again, outcome as a service for the lack of a better term. So. Yeah, let me challenge both of you guys on that. Are you seeing companies actually leverage that? So meaning back, you know, five years ago, one of our favorite sayings was, do you want to be the blockbuster or the Netflix, right? Netflix came out and went from mailing DVDs to this online service, right? And blockbuster, of course, stuck with brick and mortar and went out of business. And how I would articulate that to what you guys have said is, are companies leveraging this or do you believe we're going to see some exciting challenges to 
I wouldn't say status quo, but some of your more entrenched companies, uh, similar to the Blockbuster back in the day, where where these young entrepreneurs are going to find a better, faster way to do it with these tools that are out there. Yeah, I think that you can get there better and faster, definitely now. I don't think that's the challenge in a lot of cases. We're, we're dealing with uh, many hundred-year-old-plus companies out there, and they are transforming. They've had to continue to transform because they've been here for a hundred years. And what you're seeing is they're starting to create new revenue opportunities, new products, and it's all of these new new technologies. It's areas they've they've had these data silos going on back from you know the beginning of time essentially, and they're unlocking new opportunities in how to use that. It's cool. The technology's there to do it, but the bigger risk is: are you identifying the business case associated with that? And is your organization, your salespeople, is that are they ready to embrace that change and articulate it back out to the customers? So it's it's getting to the point where the technology is the easier part. It's going to be the business side. It's going to be the more the challenge. Yeah, yeah, same thing. And that's that's the part where um, you know we come in try to help like shameless sales pitch, right? Getting people to realize that. So it's the whole ecosystem or the whole thought process. Um, you know, it's challenging. You know, but but. Time is in our favor because as, um, you know, I'll say old dinosaurs like me age out <laughs> with the purchasing power and, and influence, right? The younger generation that's coming along, this is all they've ever known. Um, but we need still some infusion of understanding the business outcome, the business impact, the business opportunity. It's cool to play with these things. They're great. They're really, uh, if you're a techie and like to dig in and code and all that stuff, um, you know, I can, I can stay up 48 hours in a row and do some of those things. But what am I building? And that, you know, you take that into the business world and you talk to some of these young folks that are working in this now and the opportunity in front of them and you get to, you know, they get to understand those business uh, opportunities and how to add value. Um, So we're there. I think you see some incremental changes and, you know, the future's bright. Skip, I want to bring up a conversation you and I had uh, maybe over a couple cocktails and it was about Outpost. AWS Outpost is a a Hmm. newer product and it's a physical device that you put on in your own data center. So you're going to actually own a physical device. We were discussing about how there's this generation of people who have never been in a data center that are coming into the industry and how excited they are about seeing some touching a physical server. So, I mean, it's, that's where we've become. And it's just, it's a fascinating journey. You know, a lot of this, we focused throughout this episode on the history of cloud computing. A large majority of that is around AWS, right? Because they started it. But let's let's kind of talk about and switch gears a little bit about Google and Azure and any others that, that are starting to, you know, provide services that you guys believe the enterprises will see. Where are they winning? Where are they, uh, you know, being competitive? Where does Amazon win? And kind of the evolution there. And Skip, maybe just start with your thoughts. Yeah, I think, um, well, that's a good one to put on me, Jeff. Uh, I think, you know, it's always important to come in, uh, I'll say platform agnostic, when you're looking at things right again from the from the uh, approach of the outcome. And we have a lot of areas that when we meet with customers and, and they're talking about whether their cloud journey is already underway or what they're thinking of, um, it's really kind of assessing skills what they're comfortable with, what, how they already work, right, per, per se. And I think, you know, a lot of people that are comfortable in the old, you know, Microsoft framework, Azure plays out still, right? They're very uh, intent in how they're building Azure and services that get launched uh, without any physical limitations or, or, you know, governmental limitations or what have you. 
they're very pragmatic in how they're actually you know, trying to appease to, uh, we'll say, traditional Microsoft customers. The services that they do are very intentful um, from what the experience has been before, including all the way through just uh, engaging from a buying perspective and consumption model. So I think if you look at that from a tried and true perspective, you know, um, there's, there's some synergies there, but you still have to focus on the outcome. Uh, Technology-wise, you know, your, your SQL, your database uh, stuff that is Microsoft inherent, yeah, Azure does a fantastic job around that. Um, and, uh, you know, and then you have the advent of ARM. Um, you know, uh, the service fabric framework is really huge from an Azure perspective. GCP, on the other hand, uh, I'll let Ian pick up the GCP aspect. Um, be interested to have his talk, his, his uh, point of view before I go and uh, taint the water. So. <laughs> oh, this ought to be good. I, I yeah. think from the it, yeah spot on with uh, Azure and AWS side, but the, the Google Cloud side, I'm starting to see a lot more traction in the enterprise side. More than, it, and this is the moment we've been waiting for, because it truly makes three competitors there. Undoubtedly, GCP Google Cloud has been around for a while. I, I used them before. I actually used to use GCP to load test my AWS infrastructure, which was always a fun game to do. But before, I think, in my mind, it was very developer-centric, very startup-centric, and they didn't have an enterprise story. But now you're really starting to see how they know how to sell in that area. They're getting, they're, they're getting better at it. They have a better story. And it's becoming more of a natural fit than it has before. So I still think they've got a little bit ways to go. Um, but, you know, there's they're all going to be rapidly evolving anyways. But again, having all three of them going neck and neck at each other on features and technology, but more focusing on the business and enterprise side, I think is, is a great thing for all of us. You know, I'm going to jump in there real quick because I think what you guys said, you know, is, is very important, especially for the new users. I mean, we see Azure and AWS still fighting over kind of traditional services. And I think Ian, right, Correct me if I'm wrong, but but Google's kind of going after these next gen services, and Azure and AWS are trying to position themselves there as well. But Google is is um, adapting on the sales front, but from a technology standpoint, they can do some really cool next gen type services. And so, when you're thinking about rewriting an application, you know you might still keep your SQL database on AWS or Azure, have that battle. But if you're actually looking at new services that are manageless, you might start looking towards Google um, becomes more competitive with, with AWS and Azure. Is that accurate? I, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. It's just, they, they have not played into the traditional game like the others have. Uh, you know, yeah. if you want patching solutions, Azure's got great ones, you know, it, but again, you can use them across the board, but yeah, I mean, uh, compute engine has been around for a long time. It was really the first serverless model that was out there. And uh, I think it was completely underrated. They just didn't know how to necessarily get that out to the enterprise. Say, yeah, again, yeah, it was very niche, niche as, as where they were targeting that. So, yeah. 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 Hey, well, guys, great information today for our listeners on, on a brief history of the cloud computing and your guys' experience. You know, listeners out there, you know, how are you going to take this information and use it? Understand really what we're saying is the cloud is evolving faster. It's not becoming more expensive. It's actually becoming cheaper. 
And as you start to evolve your applications out of migration and into the next gen, you have three different options and really have to look at your business and, and understand that that's where we are today. And that's where we've moved to in this evolution of the cloud. Hey guys, next week, we're going to recap services from last year's reInvent, you know, coming out of there. Saw some exciting things. What we want to hear from you up front on the front lines is what are customers asking to use coming out of this reInvent? What are they actually looking at testing or deploying? And what are some of the trends, you know, that maybe changed in the last couple of months coming out of reInvent that, you know, you've noticed? And that's where we'll go next week. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Really excited. All right, y'all. Thanks for listening in and appreciate it. Send any feedback to cloudcrunch at secondwatch.com. Have a great day. You've been listening to Cloud Crunch with Jeff Aiden, Ian Willoughby, and Skip Berry. For more information, check out the blog, secondwatch.com slash company slash blog, or reach out to Second Watch on Twitter. 